The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Many voices are more powerful than one. When we share ideas, developments, and power, we can achieve anything. Welcome to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. Your hosts are Deetta Jones and Richard Dent. Together, they have made a worthy life that includes a family, two businesses, a foundation, and much more. They're ready to help you find your personal success. Now, here are Deetta and Richard. Welcome to DJ and DeBear. I'm Deetta Jones, your host. I'm a social justice advocate, leadership coach, individual and organizational effectiveness speaker and author. And I am typically joined by my better three-quarters NFL legend and pro football Hall of Famer, Richard Dent. He is not with us on the show today. He's off, uh, you know, I think he's still recovering. We had a heck of an evening last night. We packed up the kids and made our way downtown. It took two and a half hours, unfortunately, to get through the traffic that time of day after school. But we made our way to the Blackhawks game. Oh, my goodness. It was awesome. So uh, it was Shiloh's first time at a Blackhawks game. He's seven. He's in love with hockey. I don't even know where that came from. I, I didn't, it wasn't me who introduced him to it. I don't even know where he found this love of hockey. But he um, hasn't been to a real game before, even though he plays hockey. So it was just bananas. The energy in the, the, energy in the arena, we won. It was, it was just an overwhelming experience, but I think all of us are exhausted now, and, and Richard's um, probably just trying to recuperate. So he will be with us in spirit today, and um, I, we, we have a really wonderful show lined up. The topic of our show today is social justice, advocates, allies, teachers, and moms. And I'm joined by a dear friend and another social justice uh, advocate and ally who also happens to be a teacher and a mom um, and who has been part of my journey um, just about um, my entire journey. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. But before I introduce our really wonderful guest, I want to just take a moment and give a shout out to the family and all the people who have been touched by uh, our dear friend Linda Ahuna Hamill. Linda is a person who was my uh, graduate advisor, uh, one of my graduate advisors at Colorado State University as I was going through the student affairs and higher education program. She was one of my teachers in the SAHI program. Uh, she was a, a, a force to be reckoned with. She always uh, encouraged me and others to uh, find our true north, to push ourselves to a different level and standard of excellence. I remember writing and rewriting and reading and proofreading again papers that she would push me and say, you know what, I think you got more than this. I think you can do better than this. And she pushed me to find a level of excellence and to achieve at a level um, that I didn't even know I had in me. And 
I think she pushed hundreds, if not thousands of people to, to be better. And so uh, Linda uh, passed away just recently. It's with heavy heart that, um, you know, uh, all those people whose lives she's touched are, are thinking about her. Um, but we are appreciative of all the, you know, beautiful uh, impressions that she's left with us and the way she shaped our lives in so many positive ways. And we give our thoughts and prayers to her husband and daughter and, and other family members. Um, and now let me introduce Joy. Joy is another person who I met when I was at Colorado State University. Um, and Joy, heck, we've been we've known each other for far too long for me to mention the number of years here. So instead <laughs> of doing that, I'll go along and I'll go ahead and read a little bit about you. Joy has okay. Joy Joy Watt has enjoyed a 17-year career at the nexus of education, technology, and diversity. She is currently the Director of Technology Coordination in the Elementary School Division of Crossroads School for Arts Sciences in Santa Monica, California. Joy founded the Elementary School STEAM Science, Technology, Engineering, Art, Math Lab at Crossroads, which serves to expand the scope of technology to include making while merging design thinking with progressive curriculum. When she is not at Crossroads, she works to introduce underserved students to the world of programming and engineering through fun coding and robotics projects in hopes of seeing more students of color entering STEAM occupational fields in the future. Previous to professional experiences uh, included uh, at Crossroads are uh, her role with the Office of Minority Affairs at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where she worked to identify, recruit, and retain underrepresented groups at Colorado State University and as a diversity educator. She currently resides in Los Angeles, California with her husband, Hame, and her son, Zion. Oh, my dear Zion. Hello, Joy. Hi, I'm so excited (laughs) to be here. I'm so happy you're here. And and I'm jealous that I'm not where you are because you live (laughs) in this amazing, um, wonderful place and you're surrounded by really amazing, wonderful people all the time doing good work. So thank you so much for being on the show today and talking with us about that. Thank you for having me. Really honored. So, Joy, just for our listeners, we we had, I don't know, it's been a couple of months now, we had your your better half, Hame, on the show (laughs) talking to us about diversity and technology and innovation just a couple of months ago. So it sounds That's like the right. two of you are really, you're all really at the nexus. You're both really nexus kind of people, huh? Well, we try to be. He definitely helped me with that word, nexus, because that, you know, he's definitely right there in the middle of it. And I, I am too. I, I just don't always look up to see where I am. You're just kind of running. <laughs> you're making it happen. Well, Joy, you know what would be interesting, Joy, that given the topic, um, if you if we started off maybe talking a little bit about you know some of your own uh, personal experiences and what brought you to uh, the the experiences that you're creating now for students and for your and you know for young people either at your own school at the elementary school where you teach or beyond as you're talking about some of these community projects that you've been involved in I I love to you know to remind people that diversity and inclusion and leadership, all of, all of that work starts with personal story, you know, starts with understanding who I am and where I came from. When, when you and I met, you had just recently moved to Colorado State University from, uh, Clark in, uh, from Southern, I'm sorry, in, uh, uh, from a Southern institution, a historically black, uh, institution in the South. 
And you were going through, I think, a pretty interesting transition in your own life at that time, as is typical for people who are 18, 19, 20 years old, um, and going from a very specific kind of school to another very different kind of school. Tell us a little bit about your, your journey and what, you know, what are some of the things that have informed your decision to be a social justice and diversity educator? Well, yeah, I was definitely going through that phase that we all go through. And I have to say, I had no idea that I would be sitting here today in technology or having even done the social justice work and been introduced to it um, the way I was. But I got lucky. You know, I think a lot of us have lucky breaks or we have places where we're just supposed to be and, and being in the right, you know, right place at the right time um, definitely helped me through. But I'll say that I remember when we first met because it was also one of those pivotal, you know, those moments in time where you don't forget. You don't forget you know, <laughs> where you are, the classroom, what you're wearing, because it changes. It changed my life. And I, I really, um, you know, my heart goes out also to Linda um, Ahuna Hamel's family as well, because I know that kind of relationship that you had with your mentors, if I have that as well, and, and you're, you know, you're one of those people that I embarrass a lot and say, if I hadn't had that moment where we had those first conversations where you were a graduate student, um, a graduate assistant, and I was a student in, in your class, I wouldn't have had those conversations about identity that really helped me sort of anchor and steer in the direction that I ended up in. So originally, I, I think I was what most defined as underserved youth or, you know, at-risk youth. I had a, you know, single parent um, who was primary uh, caregiver for me, and we were living in not-so-great neighborhoods at times and not-so-great school districts, and I wasn't exposed to arts and sciences um, as much as some of my peers um, in different school districts. But I found, um, I sort of found technology early, um, sort of a fluke, and my dad brought, brought home a, a computer. He was working at Sears. It was one of his jobs in United Airlines, and at Sears it sort of gotten rid of one of the display um, items, and he said, I'll bring this home. He gave it to me, and that sort of opened up my world technology, um, primarily because I was a latchkey kid and kind of had to stay home and stay inside while he was out working. And so I had that, but I will say that identity didn't come up a lot, and that was something that I think my parents still struggled with and with their own identity, um, you know, milestones and where they were going, because they were both from very small, segregated southern towns where, at for them and their family, their particular families, they didn't really discuss who you were as an individual. It was sort of just how do we get through each day? You know, right. lots of things happening in southwest Louisiana and southeast Texas. Um, I can only imagine what it was like for them. These are still fairly segregated cities that I go to every year and that I visit. So I can only imagine what it was like for them at that time. But identity wasn't something that in my family or with my father we had long, long talks about. So I was sort of trying to figure out you know, who, who am I? When I ended up at Colorado State University after going to a historically black institution, and, and I did enjoy my time there, but I just ended up needing to make a transition um, at that time because of course selection, really. Um, 
<clears throat> excuse me, I was thinking of going into engineering, and I just wasn't really feeling anchored there. But I wasn't, because my parents were first-generation college students, I didn't have a lot of guidance in that either. It was sort of, okay, well, do you want, do you want to come back to Colorado, or what do you want to do? And then I started looking at schools, and I ended up at Colorado State, and thankfully I did. At When I first made that decision, I have to say I thought there's this big school. Uh, it's predominantly white, less than, I think we're less than 2% African-American yeah. at the time. Yeah. And, yeah, and I just remember feeling like, okay, let me just get in here, get my degree, get out, and keep it moving. But what happened was I landed in the right place at the right time, and I met you first, and that <laughs> opened up my world because I then met Mari Strombaum and Blaine, Mari Strombaum and Blaine Harding and Alma Viga Morales and Barb Kistler and just all these amazing mentors that really helped steer me in, in the right direction. So originally um, started doing some work with, the, the Office of Housing and doing residential assistant training, if you remember the multicultural yeah. training and diversity training, and, and that was huge because I had no idea that that kind of work existed and just, right. it, it, it just felt, you know, it felt right there for me. Um, and that it was, was awesome really too. That was, those were the creative times, you know, it was, we, you know, we, the, the first, the first access point, right, the, where we first met was through that class, that student success class, where I was the graduate yep. assistant, and, and you were one of the students, but um, it, it was a, it was a time where there were so much, there were so many questions, I, my own, I mean, you, listening to you tell your story, I, I think that's what always connected us, is that our stories were so similar, they were different, but they were also really similar, and that both of us were, first-generation students trying to navigate our way through what was a, you know, really um, a unknown territory, this big university exactly. environment, the identity kinds of questions. You know, the African-American students that were on campus were primarily athletes. So, mm -hmm. you know, not, not having the kind of uh, additional support and infrastructure and guidance, uh, you know, associated with being in an athletic program definitely um, had some challenges. The financial support trying to figure out how to get through the financial hoops, uh, you know, that associated with going to college was tricky. Um, you know, the, the family dynamics, it was really, it's really interesting to, to think about, you know, some of those really important developmental experiences, foundational experiences. Joy, before Absolutely. you go into, cause I, I would, I want us to, I want to hear more about, you know, the next step and how you got into, uh, multicultural education and, and um, mm -hmm. diversity work, but let me take a quick transition out. So I'm going to switch gears for a few minutes, and while we're at commercial break, please visit our website at www.dietajones.com to check out our latest blog post and uh, hopefully some material that will supplement uh, today's topic. Also, hit me up on Twitter at Dieta M. Jones and Richard at Richard underscore Dent 95. We'll be right back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. 
dense, fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dieta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. We're back and continuing our conversation on social justice, advocates, allies, teachers, and moms with my very good friend, Joy Watt. Joy, we were, before break, we were having a conversation about, you know, some of the um, experiences that, uh, you know, the, the foundational kinds of experiences associated with really starting to having early identity-related exploration, right? We're at a young stage in your life. You're at a new stage. You're more independent. And also you're surrounded by people who are willing to and uh, help, helpfully facilitating conversations about identity and diversity and equity in ways that uh, really opened up a lot of possibilities for both of us. For It was really a wonderful yeah. time and experience. And then you were just going to tell us a little bit about some of the early professional experiences that you had along uh, the lines of multiculturalism and diversity. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, even earlier than college, I have to say in high school, I ended up my last three years of high school at a, a very large inner city Denver public school. And again, you know, trying to figure out sort of where I fit in. I had a a really important mentor at that time, that became a mentor, I should say, um, the school principal. Her name was Pia Smith, and she was an African-American woman, about 6'2 in stature, and she held the school down. And, um, Love you know, it. She, this, was, this was a time where we were at the height of gang violence and all sorts of distractions to, you know, education in itself. And 
I can't believe that she actually had time, but she had her eye on me for a while. And one day where she saw me trying to figure out which group I was going to sit with at lunch or where I was going to go and what I was going to do because I had my sort of my, my white affluent um, honor student friends and then I had my friends from my neighborhood and then I had, you know, these the new relationships that I was hoping to create and I was struggling to figure out where I fit in as a black female who, you know, didn't really understand, you know, what I should do as far as identity, where I should go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, she saw something and she asked me if I wanted to have lunch with her one day. I, you know, the total, you know, I guess geek that I am, I loved that opportunity. I get to have lunch with the principal, yay, and I go <laughs> into her office and and she just, you know, she just decided to like get to know me better and we talked for a while and she mentioned that she'd seen me sort of trying to make these movements and, you know, what did I really want to do? What was my passion? What did I, you know, what did I want to kind of leave the school with? Um, I was in the beginning of my senior year at that point. And I said, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm noticing something that doesn't feel right. And that something was, I, I had a feeling that we were losing a lot of African-American students. And now in our senior year, I only knew of 12 black males and, you know, a handful more females that were graduating that year. In this very big high school where we were 49% of the class at one point, we were now 13%. And she let me see those numbers, and she let me ask questions, and she asked me a question after that. She said, what do you want to do with this information? And I think that was the point in my life where I realized, you know, it's okay to ask questions, it's okay to talk about things, but if you don't actually make some type of action, nothing nothing happens, you know, yeah. you know, especially if you're thinking, well, I'm a student, you're the principal, you should do something about this. But she really put it back on me and said, what do you want to do um, as yeah. a student seeing these numbers? And the only thing I could think of is really celebrating those families who were there and becoming mentors for the students that, um, you know, still had a few years of high school and try to figure out if we can prevent whatever was happening, whether it was people going, you know, off to trade schools or being counseled out or starting families in high school, you know, which was something that was happening a lot in, in our area as well. So um, she gave me a budget. She gave me sort of my first sort of student affairs, you know, programming um, <laughs> sort of torch. And that, I think, is what really sparked something about inclusion for me. It became about why are certain people having different experiences? And on a, or one of your earlier shows um, in this series, I, you know, Richard said something similar about education and how we should have equal access and we should have the same experience. And that was sort of what I was feeling. It was like, why are we having such different experiences to where we're not even making it to our senior year? So that sort of gave me the springboard. Um, when I met you, I saw that that's what you were doing with the African-American Student Success Class. Um, you, you were trying to help the university fill a gap, figure out why students were not graduating from college, what was happening with transfer students, what was happening with first-generation college students, and how to make that a more even playing field and how to really feel like we were part of the same community. So that work, I feel, is really what's followed me, and it's, it's been a passion um, so working with the multicultural office of uh, Fort Collins and being invited to come in um, with you for those 
uh, you know, those diversity retreats was something that was really important as well, where I got to, as a student, a very young student, I got to sit in groups and even facilitate groups with yeah. the heads of transportation and the heads of, you know, the different um, official offices or government offices of Fort Collins. Those were huge points for me to sort of realize everyone had a story. Oh, and Joy, I have to, I have to, I think I already mentioned this to you, but I have to say it now, now that we're on the air, that the, so the, what you're talking about is uh, what we call the multicultural community retreats that happened at the city of Fort Collins level, right? And we had started some really wonderful, not we, Barb and Alma and folks like that who are my mentors, started some really wonderful experiences at the university which then, uh, when Alma was the director of the Human Rights Office for the city of Fort Collins, created what we called the Multicultural Community Retreat. And, yeah. um, and we brought together members of the community, not just at the academic, you know, not just the academic community, but literally the, and you just described it, you know, people who are involved in city transportation, police officers, you know, teachers, People who are at the university, uh, you know, every demographic available Mm -hmm. in that community was invited. And we had, I don't know, a hundred or so people staying for, you know, two nights up in the, you know, up in the mountains on this retreat, which was really intensive and a safe place to explore, uh, have conversations, create shared dialogue and language. Um, but also to talk about our aspirations as a community. You know, this is back to the action conversation that you were just having with us. You know, what is it that we want? You know, we, you know, we all have we all have thoughts. We all have our own kind of sense of what true north is for us at an individual level or for my family. But as a community of people who want to live together, shouldn't we create shared aspirations? Shouldn't we design what it is that we want to be about and then figure out how to rather than preventing or reacting to things that are negative or that are broken, instead create the kind of community that is supportive and that anticipates and that you know creates healthy and sustainable relationships. Um, and and those were magical experiences. And yeah, you're right. We were we were part of the facilitator team for that. I have to also mention we're, it's coming back. It's we're bringing it back in uh, in um, September 2015. The Multicultural Community Retreat is coming back to Fort Collins. Isn't that amazing? I love it. I love it. It's It's so full circle. And the other thing is that, to me, this is exactly what we need to be doing. This is getting in front of situations like Ferguson or Baltimore. Not to say I don't understand those, you know, why people need to protest. We're we're in difficult times and people are responding, you know, with pain. But wouldn't it be wonderful if instead of reacting, we can take proactive approaches to starting to shape the kinds of communities that we want to live in to create the kinds of relationships that, um, you know, really minimize the possibility of us having some of these hateful, hurtful experiences that cause, you know, that cause people to react in such inflammatory ways. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. I mean, it starts with that community piece. And, yep. you know, we, if we don't have that and we're all not a part of this picture, then that's where we start to feel that we're isolated, you know, the, the in, internalized oppression and all those yep. things that, that you've given the language for and you're laying the groundwork for others to understand. That's where we have to get our focus. And we really yep. have to figure out how to eliminate those gaps so that we don't get to these places um, of, yep. you know, distress. 
So, you know, that was a big piece of of that whole movement for me. And I was able to, then as I was sort of moving more towards the tech side, you know, that tech side of me still wanted to do things, but I found myself in a school environment and, you know, finally getting to work with young people. And I started as a middle school tech coordinator. But again, your, you know, your passion it, you know, never really leaves you. So I looked at that environment. I felt we have some work to do here with inclusion. And I chaired the inclusive school committee there for a year or so. I was still going through this period of whether I wasn't sure that I wanted to stand up in front of my peers, um, you know, at four o'clock at the end of the school day and give them a directive um, that, that wasn't fully supported by everyone, you know, around me. I was still young and I was still sort of wanting to be people pleaser in a sense. And so when I heard some grumbles, I would kind of go, okay, we can wrap it up. We can do this later. And it's amazing as you start to know yourself more and you start to know really what this work's about, then you start to really do the work the way it should be done. And you know that um, you'll get the right audience. You'll, you'll get to the people you need to get to. And that's really, you know, how I started moving through. And then here at Crossroads, um, very similar, you know, helping with some of those committees and working with our um, our, diver- our diversity um, institute here and trying to really grasp where the school's going. Because now I'm not only, you know, someone who works here, but I have now, and you know, I have a more investment here because my child is here now, and he's been here since kindergarten. And so um, that has really started to steer my experience in a different way now. I love it. I, lo- I love it. And, and I love even the – we're going to come back to some of the um, uh, conversations related to being a mom, some of the things that we think about. Um, but, but one of the things that you touched on is so true, and it's so useful to just uh, underscore, and that is – Sometimes we're insecure. You know, I know there have been so many points in my career where I just thought, you know what? Nobody wants to hear this. People are starting mm-hmm. to tease me. They're calling me the diversity police. You know, exactly. I, feel, I feel like Sisyphus. You know, I feel like I'm pushing a rock uphill, and it's a rock that nobody else is really interested in. It's, you know, and, and, and it gets disheartening. I was advised mm-hmm. not to continue doing diversity work because it's too pigeonholing and that I really need to expand and, and think more broadly about, you know, what my contribution should be. But I do, but I do think that there's something about, you know, having a core, knowing what you're about, cultivating a diverse and meaningful skill set, but also staying the course, knowing that, you know, there's there's something in me that knows that I really need to continue to um, advocate for these things that I know are really, you know, bigger picture issues and that are going to Absolutely. have a substantial input and have impact, not just on me, but on the community that we live in, and especially when it's time to be a mom. So let's talk about Absolutely. that when we come back. Let, let, let's let's uh, take a quick break. And uh, while we're at commercial break, please visit our website, www.dietajones.com. Check out our latest blog post. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at Dieta M. Jones, uh, at Richard underscore Dent 95. We'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct. 
and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dietta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to share success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Hear about personal growth, building a better business, inspirational life stories, and personal branding. You'll find it every day at voiceamericaempowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. We're back and continuing our conversation on Social justice, advocate, allies, teachers, and moms with my very good friend, dear, dear friend, Joy Watt. We have been having a really wonderful conversation about uh, our journeys and how our journeys uh, are oftentimes really similar, even in their own unique ways, and how, you know, how important it is for us to listen to that little voice in our head, that, that little feeling in our stomach that says, mm, there's something really important that I need to do. There's some really important impact that I need to make. There's a voice that I have here to share. And, and Joy, your, your career has taken you to a lot of different, uh, through a lot of different opportunities to touch people's lives in really meaningful ways. And, and now you're a mom. Right. So now you're a mom. Not, you're not just a teacher and an educator. You're not just a social justice advocate. You are a mom. What, what are some of the things that go through your mind? I, I have to tell you, I, too, am a mom. So this is a great conversation for me, too. What are wow. some of the things that go through your, your mind as a mom about, you know, these issues in the, the world that we live in today? Well, it feels like it's just consuming I mean, so many parts of my brain that I am now in like this meditative uh, routine where I try to just, you know, calm down. But I have to say it started early. It started when I came back from that sonogram and they said, you're having a boy. Um, I didn't 
realize I was as paranoid about that as I <laughs> as I was. You know, I just couldn't wait to be a mom when I found out I was pregnant. I, you know, I couldn't wait, and I was raised by you know pr- primarily by my dad, who was black male. I, he had numerous brothers. My mom had brother. I mean, I had so many. Um, people that I loved and helped raise me were black males, but now I had one growing inside of me, and I and all of a sudden my focus became, how am I going to do this? How you know I have this amazing husband who is a black male as well, and you know has a seems like he you know he's had a very strong foundation of identity from a very young age, and so I knew I had him as a partner in this parenting and raising, um, you know, an African-American male in, in our society, but it, it still just hit me, like, you know, all the things that were happening at the time, he's now 10 years old, and of course, it's, you know, even more happening now, but I remember feeling like this is going to be a harder job than I, I really think it is, and it was mainly because I was in my head about how he would be perceived. And and that was one of those things that I think, you know, I even, I reached out to you when he was a baby and, and just said, you know, how, you know, I don't know, you know, am I thinking, am I overthinking this, <laughs> but how do I create this individual that can be confident? Because I think that was the number one thing I wanted and, and that my husband wants for him is that he is a confident person. And from there, we feel everything else, you know, will, will fall into place. But if he's confident and kind-hearted and, you know, knows what he stands for, then we feel like we've done okay. But how a black male may be perceived in the society, if they're confident or they speak up for themselves, you know, that was something that I think I always sort of had those little, those stories in the back of my mind and things that happen. Um, I also, just as the, you know, stories we just told about our work in Fort Collins and all of the wonderful things that we did and how the community embraced us in different ways. Well, I experienced in my 20s being assaulted by a police officer in Fort Collins. And I'm calling, you know, I remember calling Alma Viga Morales and, and Barb to, to help with um, the filing of the complaint and the things that happened there. And looking back at that, looking back at how someone who I thought, even at that time, I thought, well, you know, in some ways, because I'm a part of this community in a different way, uh, I'm seen differently than maybe the average person walking down the street. But in that moment, I wasn't. In that moment, I was seen as, you know, any other person. Um, This particular officer, um, he voiced his feelings about um, people of color, and it was clear that, you know, he had had his fill, and I was going to be the one that he was going to sort of take that out on. But fast forward to now, you know, we know who who's really being affected lately in the news and what's happening around in our communities and, and over time and history. And here I am raising this child with my husband, who we know is going to be um, probably a tall, larger black male. And I just started going for, like, how can we make him gentle? How can we make sure that he, he's accepted by everyone? You know, and I think that I missed a couple points along the way because I didn't stop and just see who he was and see what he <laughs> needed to have a voice. Yeah. It's it was so interesting. I have to say that, yeah, calling me and asking me anything about parenting, I, first of all, my son <laughs> is younger than yours, right? But at the same time, I think that you've always been much more uh, deliberative. You always have been in your head a lot about, you know, trying yeah. to study and understand things. And, and you took being becoming a mother very seriously. 
Um, and, and you've really, you know, put a lot of effort into thinking through, you know, how best to, you know, equip him to become a fully flourishing, you know, nurturing, nurtured human being. And he is, I mean, he's, he's perfection. There's no question about it, but there's, but it, it is scary to think about. And I too, as the mother of a little black boy, think about that a lot. And I know I live in, you know, I live in a, I live in a really lovely area where there is um, some diversity where there's not a lot of, you know, gang violence right out my back door, those sorts of things. So I know that the probability of having something really terrible happen in my backyard is lower than it was when I was growing up in the neighborhoods that I grew up in. On the other hand, I do know that um, he stands out. You know, my son stands out where we live. He's not, he, there's not a lot of kids who look like him. And does that, and then and do people see him um, as him? Can they see his uniqueness? Can they see him as this person who is, is you know, uh, uh, you know, kind and gentle, et cetera, et cetera, a member of this community, knowing that, you know, we still do have a lot of issues around racism and, and bigotry and, and marginalization that exists. What, what about you? You live in a pretty privileged area. I mean, he's going to a really wonderful school. Do you ever do, do does what comes into your mind first? In what order? Is it race? Is it socioeconomic status? Is it is it what? What is yeah. it that comes into your mind? Well, I think here, you know, it's been being here at um, Crossroads and in Santa Monica, um, a lot of people used to joke when I first moved here, they were like, oh, well, it's one of the brownest cities in the world. Like, you don't, you can't tell what anyone is because everyone's just, you know, been outside in the sun, you know, white people are brown and <laughs> black people are brown. And but it's funny, but it actually, we, you know, our particular school and our community is so diverse and, and not just in numbers, uh, the, the types of families that are here and the, fa- you know, the different dynamics of families we have, We've really opened up our son to the world that I want him to see by having him here, and that has been a privilege in itself. You know, he's in a classroom where at least three of the families are um, two mom families, and he's he's got many friends that are um, biracial or, or or have parents that you know one might be Jewish and one's African American, or there's just so many things he's been exposed to by being here since kindergarten that has been. Amazing, and that in itself has been a privilege because it's you know showing him the world and in a different way and a more progressive way than a lot of people um, may have the opportunity to. But also, um, it's very different than I grew up. It's, you know the the access that a lot of the parents have and the resources, and so there's a lot of times where I catch myself. I'm you know I'm I'm responding to something he's telling me, and I realize I'm responding as though I'm him. And so I have to stop and say, okay, that's my baggage. That's my, you know, that's that's maybe how I would have reacted when I was in fourth grade, but this is his experience. This is his, you know, truth with a capital T, you know, as you say, and I, I love that. Um, <laughs> his experience is being opened up like it is. But I you know, I we were concerned at first. My husband and I both wanted to make sure he wasn't in a classroom where he was the only black boy, um, or that you know, if we have two classrooms for each grade, and so that was always something that we wanted to make sure because even as diverse as we are as a school, um, you know, when it comes down to putting children in in one class with twenty six kids, you start to feel. Like, okay, is there a mirror of my child here? Um, or is my child going to be constantly trying to figure out sort of, you know, his own physical identity comparing to the other kids? So that wasn't as hard for us with his particular class. 
um, of 2023, I think is their, their class, um, because we had uh, several kids that he identified with and, and could be with. But it started to become more, I think, of a question for us when we started looking at sports and sort of, you know, what did we do? What is he doing? What's the culture? And, you know, as we talk about culture, we know there's so much more there than what we see. But I think my husband and I at times were just looking at our culture, you know, the way we were raised, the things that we were exposed to. So we had to have those moments where we really listened to him. And I think we're getting better at it, and I I hope he would say we're getting better at it, because I think he would say in the first few years we weren't. We were just saying, nope, you're going to do this, you're going to play basketball, and then you're going to, you know, um, you're going to play piano, and you're going to do these things, because this is what we think you're supposed to do. Um, And he finally was saying, like, look, Mom, I like soccer. And I, you know, um, I want to change my Kevin Durant poster to, you know, um, you know, Christian. <laughs> I don't even know all the names yet. I got to get all, you know, all of the the FIFA, you know, fire hit. And so we were like, okay, this is this is new, but it was for us. You know, he was having a great time on the field. My husband and I were realizing that we were the ones who were culturally out of our out of sorts. You know. Yeah, yeah. So that's really, that's really interesting insight. Well, and just the the, the realization that. A lot of this journey is, you know, especially becoming a parent is back to self, right? It's, it's, it's not right. just about, you know, it's not just about what am I bringing to this child and what do I making sure, what do I make sure they have? It's how am I evolving and that we, we grow at constantly. And even those of us who feel like we've had a heck of a journey behind us still are in learning mode and there's still so much more to learn Absolutely. all the time. That's really wonderful. Absolutely. And you and you've been that's the thing that I love so much about you and Hame is the same and the two of you, you know, crack me up with your intensity about this, but you you really are students and you commit yourself to constantly learning, to saying, what is the environmental data telling us right now? What does this mean for us? What are the implications? What are the lenses that I'm bringing to this issue and and what are our values? And and you've always been really deliberative about that. So let me let me transition us one last time and then uh will uh, you continue this conversation. So uh, while we're at break, please take a visit to take a look at the website, www.dietajones.com. Hit me up on Twitter at Dieta M as in Maria Jones at Richard underscore Dent 95. We'll be right back. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. 
If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dietta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. We're back and continuing our conversation on advocates, allies, teachers, and moms with Joy Watt. Joy, you know, one of the things that you said early in this episode was you um, became aware early on that it's not just about what, you know, caring about something, having a passion about something, but it's about action. Is it, what is it that we're mm-hmm. going to commit to do? So at this point in your life, what is it that you have committed yourself to doing as an advocate, as an ally, as a teacher, as a mom? And what are some of the words of advice you give to other teachers or moms or advocates and allies about actions that they might be able to take? Yeah, I think that right now the most important thing that I can do, especially as a teacher and a mom, but also to put that, put this forward for others, start just with your child's classroom or you know, your particular environment, if you're a teacher of your classroom or if you don't have children just within your office or start with your department or whatever, whatever it is, your block, if, you know, if you're a um, stay-at-home parent who doesn't have maybe kids in the home any longer, but start by looking at how people are included. You know, what are the ways that we, we make our community accessible to others? And looking at our privilege you know, that's important, knowing that we all have privileges and how we can use those to help those that we're seeing don't. And I think even starting in a classroom is great because what you notice is you might notice that there's a kid who, you know, is taking two buses and a train with his parents. And how is that affecting him, especially with an elementary school age kid? I'm using an example that's real time where we have a kid who may not be able to have the social, same socialization after school because there are parents getting together and taking kids on play dates. And how does that affect that child's social circle now that they're fighting through every day at school? And you know, that's a small move. And, and that example 
we threw that out there to parents, um, and I said to parents, this was in our particular grade, so I was speaking as another parent, I said, you know, we really should keep our eyes on how included this particular um, young man is and, and how we're doing that. And when I said that, it was amazing. Before I said that, I thought that every parent kind of saw it but just didn't want to do anything. But literally, parents said, oh, my goodness, I hadn't even thought about him. I had forgotten that, that he doesn't have transportation to the party or that he's not able to, you know, be there. So, it, you know, I think we have to notice those things, but not just say them to ourselves and try to be the one that does, you know, all of the right fighting on our own, but bring it up to others so we have allies, so we have people who say, you know what, that absolutely will work. I'm going to pick him up for the party. I'm going to offer his, you know, his family a ride home after school. And those things really made that, that child's experience change for the better. But that's just one small, you know, example, but I think just looking in our own individual communities and our classrooms and figuring out where we see the gaps and sharing that with others so that we have more allies looking. Awesome. That's it too. A lot of times we get, you know, these words seem big or like you have to have a movement, right? There has to be something grand that happens, but it, it being an ally and an advocate is, is, is small, right? It's the, it's the small steps. It's the way that we pay attention and care to somebody else's about somebody else's reality in the ways that are oftentimes much more subtle or could be easily explained away or overlooked. It's the small corrective opportunities. I love, love, love what you just said. You know, I, I, I went to my first PTO meeting um, last week at my son's school and the PTO, nice. yeah, it was, it was, it was an adventure. It was an adventure. And um, I, I realized the PTO meeting is at nine thirty in the morning on a Tuesday Boy, that's tricky, right? Not everyone can go to a PTO meeting. Already, you know, already there's a, you know exclusion there. You know, but not you know not necessarily by design, just by teachers or parents' schedules, and that's difficult. That's difficult. Right, you have right. working parents that want to be a part of that that, right. that can't. So those those even those little things are, are kind of things that are on my mind. You know, the small the mm-hmm. small things, not just the big grand things that you know can can create a big splash, but the small things that, you know, that, that might have a huge impact if they could be considered differently. Um, perfect example. Thank you. As always, I love listening to, um, who you are, who you've become the journey that brought you to becoming, you know, to, to this person that you are today. I can't say that you're at the end, that you're fully there because I know you're going to continue (laughs) to evolve and I know we'll continue to, you know, grow and share experiences together. Um, uh, but thank Absolutely. you for for sharing so much of your story, your perspective, and also your words of wisdom to our listeners. And for me, it, it's been a huge gift for me. So honored. Thank you so much, Dieta, for having me. So honored. Uh, go keep make it happen, girl. Just keep making it happen. So I want to tell <laughs> our listeners, our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. We have loved every minute of it, and we hope that you have too. And we ask you to join us next week when we will um, have uh, another really wonderful uh, guest, uh, Taylor Parker, who will share with us some tips, experiences, and best practices for bringing social justice to the school environment. And Taylor is your colleague at Crossroads Elementary, Joy, so it's going to be really wonderful. I can't wait. Okay, absolutely. So listeners, until then, keep finding ways to make a dent in pursuit of your dreams, to serve your community, to make our world better. Thanks again for tuning in. 
Please join Dieta Jones and Richard Dent for another edition of DJ and the Bear. We'll be back next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.